0: Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 34. We're talking Brian Lee O'Malley's seconds.
1: Yes, I'm very excited to talk uh, about this with you today.
0: The voice you're hearing is AJ Conrad, and I am, as always, Olima too
1: Are you really? Are you sure that that's who you are this week? I think week? I
0: am. I think I've recovered fully from our Doctor Who episode, Confusion. Um, Conrad, uh, what's... Well oh, so we're gonna talk about seconds, but before we get to that, what's gonna be in our crossover this week?
1: In our crossover we're going to to pit um seconds against Back to the Future. Um which story is is a more I don't wanna say which which story would resonate more, I think, um in the future. So oh. which which is going to stand the test of time?
0: Maybe I am going to get confused cuz we're doing some time travely kind of stuff right. this episode. This will be interesting. Our top 5 are top 5 stories about regrets. Uh so possibly movies, possibly TV shows, possibly books. We'll see how that unfolds in a little bit. Um, Yours is
1: going to be some weird social media tweet, I'm sure, <laughs> that talked about regret and it resonates with you. Just a,
0: a super postmodern yes, tweet. Yes, yes. Um, wow, I didn't know that was eligible. Now I, gotta, I might be reshaping my top five. <laughs> <laughs> um so my, um, no, no, oh I was about to reveal my top five, but no, that's not, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah,
1: don't reveal your top five, yeah, <laughs> no, don't get let's ahead. not
0: do that. Let's start at the beginning. So we're talking about, um, Brian Lee O'Malley's new graphic novel, which came out this summer. We alluded to it in the last episode, mm-hmm. and actually we finished recording the last episode. We're talking about what we're recording this week, and then you said, why don't we read seconds? We both like, uh, this author. So, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley... Um, very well known for Scott Pilgrim and for writing the Scott Pilgrim graphic novels and for the movie adaptation that was based on his work. How did you first get a, um, get exposed to Brian Lee O'Malley's work?
1: It was through Scott Pilgrim. And uh, my friend Moira is the person that I believe was the – that recommended it to me um, because she knew that I like graphic novels. I'm a little bit snarky, and I'm also way into music. And there's this – there's this tongue-in-cheek uh, – sensibility that he has and he has a great sense of humor he he's definitely very witty i think in how he presents things it's it's I always when i started reading um scott pilgrim i said oh yes i'm going to totally be into this so <laughs> and moira people may remember her from our from our Nintendo, Nintendo episode, episode yeah. um, has impeccable taste in graphic novels. So she has
0: impeccable taste in media, in everything I would say. generally.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, thanks Moira.
0: Um,
1: but <laughs> that yes, was, that was
0: before the movie. Then
1: yes, yes, oh. that was before that came out. Although I think part it was connected because I I think I saw a trailer for the movie or something, and I asked her about it because I knew it had been filmed in Toronto, mm-hmm. and she said, "Oh, well, you have you read." have you read the, the graphic novels or whatever? And I, and I had not. So I read them pretty quickly. Um, D-
0: so did you read all of them before the movie came out? Because of, the s- of course I did. The seventh one came out very close yes. to the release of the movie, and that was a little bit of a controversy. Are people going to see the movie and the end of this epic before they have a chance to read the book?
1: Well, well, you know how quickly I read. So. Oh, my gosh. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, So did. it wasn't an issue for me um but yeah i really there is just this i don't know i very much as you know i very much enjoyed scott pilgrim um and you know as i as i said you know i didn't know if the movie was going to be able to deal with um the was it going to be able to capture sort of the 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 pithiness of the comic yeah yeah and it did i thought it did did.
0: i think Thanks to Edgar Wright and uh, his adaptation. That was where that was where the story picks up for me. Um, I got exposed to Brian Lee O'Malley through Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the the film adaptation by Edgar Wright back in I think 2010 is when that one came out. Um, I, this was this was a time in my life where I was just getting back into reading comics, and um, I. I wasn't aware, I wasn't as plugged into the world of nerdery at that point. The larger nerdery outside of the the things that I very much watched and read. So um, I wasn't aware of Scott Pilgrim at all. um, Saw the trailer for the movie, recognized all the sound effects, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's kind of referencing the director. Whoever made the story is referencing all these video games that Mm -hmm. I love, um, and this, you, were, you
1: were like, I could be friends with this guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I was like, this is, it. Was, you were talking about how, like, the the cool musical taste, and I was really um, picking up on a, all the cool video game taste, and it seemed like whoever made the story, we kind of grew up together. Like, we could have been neighbors or something. So I saw the movie, absolutely loved it. I think I watched it twice in the theaters, uh, got it on home video, and um, then read the graphic novels. Um and really really loved them. And I thought it was such a great adaptation. That was so true to the source material. Um and that's when I that's when the story picks up with me and Brian Lee O'Malley and um I think his style and how he does mash up so many different genres whether it is kind of in the indie music scene, video games, these coming of age type stories And the manga-inspired style of his illustrations, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of mashing up of of genres that he does, and that's, I think, what appealed to me about this author.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So I am looking at when Scott Pilgrim first came out, and I feel like I started to read this before, long before the movie, but I'm definitely sure that it was Moira that recommended it to me. Yeah. Um, But... Um, either way, I think it was it, it was an interesting series the way it looked and the way like the, the story flowed and all that. Um I just think it it was an interesting take on things. It tapped into a certain and I don't want to call it an ennui or a preciousness, but it does. It tapped into a certain like emo or it was poking fun. At a certain it was yeah. it, 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 there there were so many references and things to it that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed his sense of humor, yeah, and there were were little little comments and hints and and things that were very meta within the way he told used the the comic to tell the story that I very much enjoyed um yeah. So, aside it, it, from the video game references, well, I just thought... It's, and it's
0: not... That's that's a good point. It's not just making references, but it's... He was weaving in these different media um, as a way of propelling the story forward. Right. And, and really and taking advantage of that visual form.
1: Right. And it was such a clever way to do it. Yeah. Um, so, when you had mentioned this, I actually did not... Um, I guess I had heard that this was coming out, but I lost track of it, so I didn't realize it had actually come out in July. I saw the when it was announced that he was doing this. So,
0: well, you um, you and a lot of people lost track of it. The, um, Brian Lee O'Malley has said in interviews that he expected this book to come out much sooner, but he he developed an injury um, uh, from. Apparently, this is something that happens to a lot of illustrators and writers. But he got to a point where because of all the the way he had strained his body from writing and illustrating for so long that he had to stop doing it for months um, mm-hmm. just because he was in so much pain and needed to recover from this. So it was a three-year-long process, which he thought would only take one year. So a lot of people were wondering when this story was going to come out. And when he announced his next project and he said, I'm going to do something a little bit different than Scott Pilgrim, I want to tell one self-enclosed story. People were wondering what this is gonna be, but it did fall off the radar for a lot of people. It did, but
1: I feel like you and I talked even about it a little bit when we were talking about um our we did a little bit of a review. So um but yeah, I'm I'm glad that you noticed that it came out. I feel badly and sheepish that I didn't. (laughs) Um but or that I didn't I guess. That's what I'm here for, Conrad. We keep each other in check. Um but in any case, um Let's want to get into it. Are you ready? Let's
0: get into it. And So what we're going to say here is um, if you want to stay absolutely neutral on spoilers, um, feel free to pause, um, check out the book. Um, However, we're not going to spoil everything about it. We are going to talk about some generalities of the story. The story in itself is not so um, – there isn't like definite spoilers as there would be for Scott Pilgrim. So that's our kind of weird wibbly wobbly spoiler alert. Uh if, yeah, if you're Yeah, okay, I would say
1: if you're if you're somebody that wants to go into this absolutely pure then, you know, uh like turn this off and go and read it. It's actually a pretty quick light read. Um
0: We both read it in one sitting. Yes, you read it much faster than I did, but uh, we both read it in one sitting. Um, story's not too complicated. the The real the thing that's great about this book is the how the text, the narration, the dialogue, and the visuals all interact with each other. Oh,
1: it's fantastic! Yeah. I highly re- I recommend this. I no, think me that too. This is really fun. I also think that you know overall there there's a there's definitely a few adult themes but it's not uh graphic in that way um so i could see like a teenager reading this and really enjoying it if that's if you want something um for like you know i I may take a gander first if, if you're you know a truly protective parent um, but there's a little bit of there's sex. a little bit of sex and alcohol, but you only see a yeah. butt. You don't really see. Yeah. Um, well,
0: and there's mushroom use. <laughs> which, well, yes, I guess there is, is mushroom. So okay, so maybe this is
1: for adults, but you know. Well, I, but you know what? There's mushroom use in Alice in Wonderland too. And my in friend. Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. So 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 <laughs> hey. Um, and I kind of thought the mushroom use was very Super Mario Brothers. Oh, totally. No.
0: I, um, that that was a slight. A nod right. to video games, right,
1: right. but in any case, um, I think it's well worth reading. So, so go out, grab it. Um, but, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little bit more, more. Give a synopsis here. Um, but I have to say, in terms of what it looks like, it was a pleasure to read mm-hmm. this book. Um, it really was, and it was laugh out loud funny. Yeah, in in places. um Well,
0: the visual aspect. What what appealed to you about it? Because it definitely has. You open it up and you you feel the connection to Scott Pilgrim in the. Oh yeah, in it the looks, style of the characters. The style.
1: It, it definitely has some manga aspects to it. They, the characters have pretty big eyes. They're they're exaggerated, but you know, there's it's got. That, and they're super cute. Yeah, they're that. totally cute. Um, you're, they're endearing. It's yeah. like, and but even you can see a lot of the Scott Pilgrim style, just even in in, especially in some of the bigger reactions, and when there's um when there's a battle scenes to some extent or shock and awe, mm-hmm. there's definitely that stuff going on. Um, there's definitely breaking of the uh, wall between.
0: Oh, so this is one of my favorite things about yeah. Seconds. So um, we'll get into the story in a little bit, but. W- there is this like semi omniscient narrator, right? Um, and so this narrator is saying certain things, but then you have the main character of Katie making who, fun
1: of the narrator, making
0: fun or saying, "No, you're totally off base." Right. And there's a lot of great examples of that. We're, we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna spoil those for you because that's part of the joy of reading yes. this book.
1: Yes, but there are some really hilarious places where this gets where the fourth wall gets broken. Yeah,
0: so. and and that is that that's where I think O'Malley is really experimenting a little bit with this form. Um, and this is why I like a lot of these one-off graphic, uh, novels, um, because there's a little bit more flexibility for experimentation. And I think this is the break in the fourth wall. Um, the dialogue, the interaction with the narrator is so much fun and it's different than a lot of stuff we've seen.
1: No, definitely different. Um, and then he does he does certain things, uh, certain ways is that the graphics are are laid out are really interesting. Um, there's a few different like floor diagrams where it looks very video game like to me. It mm-hmm. looks very Zelda to me. Um, so he plays with that a, a lot. Um, the color is beautiful as well.
0: And colors also used. Um, so this is maybe where it's a, a good point to kind of summarize uh, at least the premise of this. Um, we focus in on our main character Katie, right? Um, who is um, a chef. A chef, and she has uh, been a chef in this very successful uh, restaurant named Seconds. But that's not necessarily what she wants to do. She wants to open up her own restaurant.
1: Well, yeah. So she opened up this restaurant. She got people to basically back the idea of the restaurant. But it's not. She is not the one who owner who owns it. She is just or has just been the the star chef. Yep. So she's really looking to break out on her own. There's also a lot um, of—this is most definitely one of those—I wouldn't call it a coming-of-age story, but I would call it a transition from 20s to 30s. Absolutely. Um, And that's the huge theme of this, and in fact, I think that that's probably the main theme of this. Absolutely.
0: I'm right there with you, Conrad. And Um, that's where where Scott Pilgrim was much more about sort of the transition from— uh, getting out of your teenage years and right. the consequence of dealing with consequences of your actions and how you impact people.
1: Well, I think that this is the same thing only it's for a At different yeah, 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 totally. Um, there's a
0: lot where I was reading this and it was just very much resonating with me.
1: Right. Um but it's a nice contained little story. Um I think that the character of Katie is kind of it's really a lot of fun and there's some things that go on in the story that you are if it wasn't such an endearing character, you could... He really does a fantastic job of building this character up so that she's endearing rather than annoying. Yeah. Because she could be. She could be. And there are certain actions within this where I'm like, oh, really? You know, but he really... And he pulls it back and he, like... Makes her likable, which yeah. is just, I mean, I think he is just very, very talented. O-
0: O'Malley talks about how he, both these characters, uh, Scott Pilgrim and Katie, share this kind of um, impulsive trait. Mm -hmm. They both kind of act quickly without really thinking about it and he says I like writing about these characters because that's so different from who I am where he kind of meticulously thinks and Mm -hmm. ruminates about things a lot and he does he's able to make these characters who would do these things and you'd be like what are you doing like do you not get it but make some very... But they're
1: still likable which is a tough thing to do when they're doing stupid things and and both Scott Pilgrim and Katie do some really (laughs) stupid things and and that, and that
0: gets us to the main premise here so so um, Katie's kind of unhappy with some of the decisions she's made, where her life is, is at. She wants to go a different direction. And this is where the, the book enters a, a bit of a fantasy and sci-fi sort of type of aspect where she discovers um, this very successful woman discovers that there's a house elf living, living in the house um or a spirit or a creature or something It's a dean of
1: dobby. <laughs> it's but a it, it's, a, dobby, it's basically the spirit dobby, of the house. Okay. Um but you know she finds this out due to she she's done something that she is very regretful of and it's a big it's a pretty big something yep. it's something that it hurt somebody else and so it how she discovers this and what she does is initially altruistic. Yes. I would say. Yep. Um Although some of it is still a little bit selfish because she just feels um, – she's just very upset about it. But I think she's – initially in this story, she is definitely trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and But some of it is incred- motivated by her own self-guilt. Yep. So, um, so
0: anyway, she discovers this. She discovers this way of um, if you write down your mistake in this notebook, eat this mushroom, go to sleep, you're going to wake up anew. Right. Right. The thing that you asked for, the mistake, will be corrected. Will be erased. It would not have
1: happened. But she is the only person that has a memory of it.
0: Yes. So. And the story unfolds from there. And um, that is where things become really interesting. And that's where the story heads into the direction of if you had the opportunity of changing the actions that you made in the past, how would they impact your present and your future? And the people around you. And this is where exactly like you were saying, Conrad, the sort of um, making these decisions that other people would have a hard time kind of understanding and relating to and you you would lose the empathy that uh, the sympathy that the reader has for your character Katie starts making these decisions, changing a lot of things about her life, kind of impulsively doing, like, oh my gosh, I did that, let me change that, or, well, or oh. What I was
1: going to point out is that the the first thing that she does, it's an altruistic thing. It is a pretty big thing that she changes to, that gets her off the hook for having been responsible for it, but also makes the other person not um, be hurt. So. Yeah. And then it it sort of goes into this downward spiral because once she realizes she erases this, she just becomes very cavalier about being able to do this, even yeah. though the spirit of the house is basically saying this is a big no no, my friend. You can't yeah. just change things. And you know, part of what I thought was very cool about this this graphic novel and the story and the way it shows this is that it started you know it actually makes you think a lot you know what's the purpose of mistakes and regret and you know i i i feel like there there's very few things that i personally regret in my life but i also feel like no matter how regretful i am i have learned something from those regrets and it's it's something that is necessary as part of our learning process and as part of the human experience yeah. You kind of can't. And I was just thinking, so, okay, she's going through and changing all these things. That's not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the powers of the universe. You, that's, that's where
0: you know where the story yeah, is headed. Yeah. Once you get to the middle of it, you're like, oh, man, I know what's going to happen next. But that that really doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter that you know where the story is no, headed. Okay. And, and you know, the, big, the only big criticism I have of, of this story is I do think the last act um, –
1: could have been a little bit more interesting. Could have been yeah, more interesting. It out a yeah, little bit.
0: But it, this is the thing, Brian Lee O'Malley, you're so good at this because at the end there is a sort of sim- simple message, mm-hmm. but there's also it's very meta the way it they is, do it. Is. They're like, well, the moral of the story is this and and now things have closed nicely and it but it's sort of doing a commentary on that. So yeah, even though I, I think things do kind of fall apart there a little bit, it still worked for me. But, yeah, the story, it doesn't matter because it does, the story and the way it's done, it makes you think about these things and right. it makes you reflect.
1: And even while I was reading it at lightning speed, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I there was definitely a few things that gave me pause within it. And, you know, it's very funny because some of the things that – uh Brian Lee O'Malley highlights are decisions that definitely people make in their in their twenties going into their thirties yeah. and figuring out um you know that you maybe need to grow up a little i I know that many people have hooked up with people that they maybe shouldn't have or have gone a little bit too uh sloshy, so to speak, and had a night when they were really wish they could take that back. And he really highlights it so well. He really does such a good job at at sort of laying this all out for us. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a nice, it, it's just a, such a clever way to do it.
0: I like this quote from Brian Lee O'Malley where he says, uh, Seconds is for everyone on the terrifying, bleak precipice of a late 20s, early 30s crisis. For, any, for everyone who even occasionally sits up late at night, gripped by second thoughts wondering about the nature of adult, adulthood itself and did did i do something wrong or did i do everything right uh and that's that gets to the title of the book too right it's not just about seconds in terms of time and going back and changing this but it's also about these second thoughts that we have and uh, this is where i think you know as someone in their um in their first half of their 30s i thought the book was really speaking to A lot of things that I have personally experienced. And there's a few things in my life that I do regret, as we all do. But um, I think what I've noticed more so in my late 20s and early 30s is uh, these second thoughts and wondering if I've made the right decisions in my life. Um, I remember uh, back when I was seeing uh, my therapist when I was in D.C. in grad school, I was telling him Um, I don't know if I'm like, I'm spending all these years in grad school. Is this the right thing? I'm investing so much time, so much resources in that part of me. What I wanted to be a photographer, I wanted to do this. Maybe I want to do that. And I remember him stopping and kind of reflecting and saying, you know, this is one of those things about being in your twenties. The more you're moving forward, it feels like as you're moving towards these doors that you've opened, you're closing doors behind you. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't just about career stuff but it's about your relationships yep. it's about your friends it's about your family um as we progress in life it, it does sometimes feel like those choices we have are declining and this is this is where i think seconds is very current
1: there is this great um, actually when i was getting coffee this morning there was this gentleman <laughs> who is uh you know there's kind of regular uh, so, when you go to the coffee dealers, there's people that just show up there, and I've seen him. I don't know his name actually, um, and what he was. We were talking because he was he was talking to this other woman who had a child in line, and mm-hmm. and you know, and, and they were talking about the fact that he was he was at the point where he's shuttling his kids to and fro to, to various things and whatever. And um, as I was putting sugar in my coffee, he just started talking to me. He's like. I remember when I used to be awesome and I used to meet people at music festivals and in bars and I used to be really interesting. Now I'm at the mercy of a tiny ballerina who doesn't know, who doesn't know the meaning of the word no. And he's like, I don't even know how this happened. It's not bad that it happened. He's like, I just never would have imagined that this happened. And it was just such a funny thing because all I could think about was that conversation when I was reading seconds this afternoon. And so um, I do think that there's a big transition and there's – I also think that in your 20s, just your mind is different. Your mm-hmm. mind, your brain, your chemistry is different. There's a lot more – there's a lot more changes going on there. There's changes well, as your, well. Your brain and is
0: actually continuing – your per, brain and personality continue to develop into your late 20s. And it, you're still sort of in that phase of your life where, as we talked about in Ready Player One – you're getting exposed to ideas and thoughts that are going to shape the rest of Mm -hmm. your life. And it's one of the things that um, this run-in that you had at the coffee shop and seconds made me think about is this whole idea in psychology about affective forecasting, Mm -hmm. which is these are the fancy words that psychologists come up with to make ourselves sound very smart. All all that actually means is predicting how you're going to feel in the future. We're really bad at that. Oh, we're totally bad at that, yeah. We're like, oh, if I just get this thing... I'm going to feel so much better. Things are going to be amazing. If I just can open up that second restaurant, Mm -hmm. if I can be the chef of that, my life is going to be great. And um,
1: we're horrible at that. No, I think we're horrible at that. I also think one of the things is, is that, well, we like patterns. And I think you mentioned this in, and humans love finding patterns. You Mm -hmm. mentioned this in a couple of different episodes. And I I think that we have the tendency, and I have that tendency at, at times as well. And I'm, I'm getting better at it in my older age, but um, focusing on that one thing. Mm-hmm. You, we we have, I think humans have, and not all humans, but a lot of humans have this tendency, if I do this one thing, everything will change and it never works out that way because there's too many moving parts. There's too many pieces of your life that make yep. up who you are and, and where you are and what level of contentedness you're at. Um, you can have sort of like Ninety percent of that stuff going on and going well, but if something just terrible happens, like if you have like a a death in the family,
0: or if you
1: lose your job, or Mm -hmm. whatever, things can happen and you just can't predict it.
0: Yeah, and the flip, we like
1: to predict it, so it's like like this comfort. I think it's like this comfort um, in thinking that we can control that we can't.
0: And and we also um, the flip side to that is um, the positive things that happen. Those. those feelings tend not to last forever. So we might be kind of lusting after this new piece of technology or a new video game system or a new phone. You get it, it's awesome, two weeks later... It's just kind of normal. Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's this idea called habituation. It's kind of like you jump in a swimming pool and at first it feels cold, but your body gets used to it. We're mm-hmm. wired to get used to stuff that stays the same. So similarly, like we predict, oh, if we get this thing, it's going to be great. Um, it might not be. As you're saying, life is complicated or it might be great and awesome. And then you get used to it.
1: Well, I'm going to use an example from my childhood of how much my siblings and I really wanted the game Hungry Hungry Hippos.
0: Oh, I totally wanted it. I because never got it, there was such
1: Well, there, your parents were probably just so much... I think my mom knew what this was going to do, but but just finally gave in and we got it eventually. And it was because the ad was so exciting. And mm-hmm. the Hungry Hungry Hippos looked so like friendly and stuff. <laughs> and so... And we got it, and it was really loud and not satisfying at all to play this game. And the marbles all get lost. Um, you know, now now I'm going to have to put up a link to Hungry Hungry Hippos <laughs> in, in the show notes. But I remember, I can remember that being like one of my first instances of like, oh, oh, this isn't, this isn't, okay. I ha-. And then we got tired of it. And, and since we had lost most of the marbles, you know.
0: That's the problem with hungry hungry hippos yeah. is you lose marbles. And my, and,
1: my mom was probably thinking, oh gosh, you know they're gonna eat the marbles. The dogs will eat the marbles. Like my mom was. That's the kind of thing
0: that you wouldn't even people. No one would make that now because of all right. the lawsuits around all this kind of stuff. Well, I know, right?
1: <laughs> um, and then there is also the Snoopy snow cone maker.
0: What I, you I don't, don't not remember, remember this. No. Oh my gosh! I but see, I want it now. I
1: wanted it so badly, and they now sell it. Um, what? Yeah, but it's. it's can we one get of the, this
0: for a super fantastic nerd hour prize to I, ourselves?
1: Yes, I think we should <laughs> give this to ourselves. Yes, yes, we can totally do. It's this. gonna
0: make us so happy, Conrad.
1: Yes, <laughs> I bet it'll it'll solve all of our problems. It will. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, you know, I get more of a kick out of that stuff from a nostalgia point of view, though. Then, but as a kid, like when you have that, you get that thing, and you're like, I love this thing, and then you're like, eh, and yeah. you just get so you get habituated to it, so you like let it, you let it sort of it's one of those things that even as an adult, it takes a long time to learn that, to learn that that's yes. not those material things, at least for me. Like um, I definitely went through a stage where I was just like, uh, and this is like when you used to buy CDs mm-hmm. and I'd go and buy like way too many CDs for myself. And I was just like, this is great and go through it and just, you know, not, and it was great and I love the music and it was awesome and it stayed with me, but there was just, you know, it was not, it, I was Using it to fill another need. Yeah. You know, so, and I think that that's what a lot of this stuff is. Like, the gadgetry and the... Oh, you know. totally.
0: Totally. And, you know, um, Brian Lee O'Malley's right between our ages. So he, mm-hmm. he has experienced things from both of our childhoods. And...
1: Uh, uh, he's wh- definitely watched Buffy. Yeah,
0: yeah, Did yeah. Did you see <laughs> that
1: little quote in there?
0: I didn't catch the Buffy reference. There's
1: a, a quote where um, where Katie is talking to one of the other characters. Yeah. And the character is, is talking about Spike, uh, From oh, Buffet, yes, yes, I do remember totally, that. And I yeah, started yeah. laughing, and I was just like, oh, Brian, Leo, Malley, I really like you. <laughs> he was just I, so fantastic. So
0: he, he really pours his own geeky loves and interests into the book, and I, I love that. But uh, where I think this – the times where I paused and reflected like you did, it's it's the times where I felt like he was speaking – to aspects of our generation, whether you're talking about the late Gen Xers or early Millennials, um, we grew up in an era where everyone told us we could be anything we want to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also an era where technology was catching up and we were getting... Uh, we remember the Internet. We remember a time before the Internet, but we also remember as the Internet was coming on and getting exposed to a wide variety of, of ideas and the the paralysis of these... Of the choices that we have now right. in life, you go back a few generations well, and very you did how have these and of choices. how very
1: spoiled we've come, yeah, we 've become by these choices, and not um, not just spoiled but reliant sometimes upon it. I was actually thinking about this the other day because um i my phone totally died mm-hmm. um and I was supposed to get someplace to to someplace I had not really had been in the city. And I really had to, you know, and it was fine because it's, you know, New York it's a grid and whatever, but I had to actually, before I left, I had to look on a map.
0: You had to look beforehand, plan how you're going to get there. but not just that, but actually write down the (laughs) address because I couldn't
1: just access access it, you know, and it's just, we have become incredibly lucky in terms of the, and not just that, but you have a question about anything and you can pull up a Wikipedia, which is basically a hitchhiker's guide. It's extraordinary what we can do now. Um, But, but sometimes those choices that we have are certainly paralyzing because it's almost like you can't make it. And I think especially when it comes to, um, career and and not just that, I think we're also from, we were from the millennials in that we were told that we could do anything we want, but that wasn't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, and then especially now it's very interesting to see in terms of the downturn, what's been going on well um,
0: and there's there's now research i mean half of my job is to work with um young adults who are having a hard time launching their lives yeah and there's a lot of good evidence now that um adolescence is increasing into um it's expanded into your early 20s at least in in certain parts of the world where uh, because of you know as brian leo O'Malley says a brief precipice of late 20s and early 30s crises. Well, it's part of that is this paralysis of choice. Part of this is how uh, there are so many options now. There are so many opportunities, and it's almost overwhelming. And in some cases, the expectations to... To achieve these certain things are, are so overwhelming for people. It's an interesting time and era that we live in, and second speaks to this, but it's also current in a different way. There's all these things where um, you see her up late at night. She has all these thoughts. <laughs> the She's nev- scrolling through the, her Twitter feed. The total,
1: feed. like the the Twitter feed, the Netflix binging, yeah. even though yeah. it doesn't call it that, but that's what it is. Yeah, um, but that's what it is, and yeah. it's
0: it the way. It, I have done that so many times, or I've got something on my mind. I'm I'm at I'm in my bed, gonna go to sleep, and I'm looking through my Twitter feed. And part of it is kind of just like part of it is because it is it's so. A
1: dis- it's a distraction. It's a
0: distraction. It's also addicting. To,
1: it, it's addicting. Yeah. It, it
0: it's reinforcing it. It's um uh, it, uh one of my old professors, uh, Professor Lieberman at UCLA, has talked about how it social media activates a lot of the social regions of our brain Mm -hmm. and that is so reinforcing
1: well it is and when people are responding to you and you know they're reading what you write and that's i mean people get it it is um and i think that there was also a study showing how we interact with our iphones Mm -hmm. and it basically sets off the same regions of our brain the reward center yeah yeah so that you're kind of like a I hate to say it, but like a rat in the cage, kind yeah. of like, this is what tap, I tap, do tap, to tap, get a tap. treat. And like <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what you do. And-, and
0: Twitter and Facebook is a great tweet or not a treat, a uh, treat. Um, but it's uh, it also to me that spoke to um, some of the uh, sometimes when you're on Facebook and you see because people post positive stuff, right? Mm-hmm. People rarely are posting the complexities of our lives and the things that aren't going as well right. and all of that. Sometimes they do and people get support that way. I know there's been times yeah, but, in my but life. Sometimes they that. do
1: and people are like, Oh, why are you sharing something so personal and, and so then I'd you don't you as don't. much yeah, again? Yeah.
0: But a lot of for a lot of people you go on social media and Facebook and sometimes it can be intimidating, like, look how great this person's life is. Look mm-hmm. how happy they are. I am not. I'm not doing all these things. And it triggers some of those doubts and regrets that we see play oh, yeah. out in seconds.
1: It's a little bit it's weird because it's kind of like a keeping up with a virtual keeping up with the Joneses.
0: No, totally is. It
1: is, and and it's kind of like you
0: it's know, our new sort of grass is greener on the other side. And there's,
1: I mean, there's lots of great things about social media. I think people do get a lot of support. I think that they make a lot of connections and things like that. But there's a downside too, and, yep. and I think especially when people are trying to wade through sort of these these stages in their lives it's it's an interesting thing because because you and i remember a time before twitter oh <laughs> and, yeah and some other some younger people do not so it's it's just a very different way of looking at things,
0: well we're we're the last generation conrad who does remember a time before the internet and um i th- it, it's 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 a pretty grand experiment right mm-hmm. now, um, how fast technology is changing. And, you know, thinking about kids who are growing up on iPads and um, thinking about how is the impulse control going to be for these kids who have had immediate access to whatever they want True. and what are, what's going to be the ramifications for society and culture. I'm not saying it's going to be all bad. I think it's going to be interesting. There's gonna I think be it's going to be interesting. I
1: think you already see... Sort of a difference in people's attention span, yeah, and in how things. Uh, for example, speaking of of binge watching, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that House of Cards was all released at once because they were like, "This is how this is going to be a success," and they were actually. Encouraging binge watching because that's what people demand. That people and don't want to wait for. That's me- the
0: data that Netflix right. has released. Most uh, most of our people binge watch seasons, and I know Alima too binge watch House of Cards in uh, in like a week, mm-hmm. both seasons. Oh my gosh, so good! Um, All the second season. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I still watched it, but anyway,s that's a tangent. Um, can I share something else I really loved about this? What? It's, it's a little different. So um, you were talking about the uh, the reference to um, to Buffy. Mm-hmm. So uh, in another interview, they're asking where um, where the whole idea for the house elf or the spirit came from, mm-hmm. and he says it all came from um, a classic adventure game, Sierra's Quest for Glory Four. <laughs> now, I love that video game series. It's a series my brother and I play it all the time. It started out as Hero's Quest, but then, if you remember, there used to be a board game called Heroes Quest, so they sued Sierra, and they changed the name to Quest for Glory. And Quest for Glory 4 was the last great one, and it kind of explored this whole region of Transylvania and all that stuff. But it was this game where you could build a character, and then uh, we're talking about the 80s and 90s here. And you save your character... At the end of the game, you save your character on a floppy disk. Mm-hmm. And when the next game came out three to four years later, you could start out with that same character that you had from the previous floppy game. Floppy Yes, you got... Well, you got to save him on the floppy disk. Originally the five-inch ones and then the three-inch. So I just love that this... Like, the, I wish we could get him on the show because he just... Fe- just reading his work, he pours so much of his own geeky interests into it.
1: Oh, I know. And, it's so great.
0: And his life interests. Like, yeah, like no, his life experience. And so that's why um that's why I really love seconds. There's very little about it besides the stuff we mentioned that is a criticism. No, I no.
1: There is uh and there's also some really great ways that he shows this character growing up. And just or how how she doesn't want to deal with certain things and then the Consequences when she gets out of dealing with things. Yeah. Um, and they don't turn out quite how she is expecting um, or anticipating them <laughs> happening. So it's, it's, he's, he does a really good job at showing her evolve, it's, I think. And it, also, he does, I mean, he throws in parts of his real life. I don't know if you caught that note that the recipe. There's a recipe for something in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That a friend of his actually made. So I was like, "Oh, that's so nice that he put well, that in there." And
0: some of this, uh, some of the ideas for this book came from his time after releasing the first Scott Pilgrim book, where he was working as a as a food runner at mm-hmm. a friend's restaurant. And he says that the that scene in the book where you get to see the map of the kitchen mm-hmm. and what it looks like that was lifted straight out of his experience awesome. at the restaurant. Like, how cool is that?
1: Um, there's also this very th- there was. There's some really nice things within this. There's a storyline between um, Katie and one of the other characters. And the other character... Hazel. I love Hazel. Um, Hazel is a waitress at the restaurant. She's really beautiful but doesn't know it and is very shy and kind of weird and nerdy. Yeah. And Katie strikes up a friendship with her, but she also is acknowledging the fact that she herself has been super envious of Hazel and her hair and, yeah, and yeah. everything. And, um, but also takes the time to reach out to her and that, no, you know, it, this is a person that's been pretty isolated and everybody's been, you know, she's shy and, and definitely is not, she, she is not an extrovert by any yep. means. And, um, the other characters, I wouldn't say that they bully her, but she's definitely the outcast in the restaurant team. Yeah. And it's it's just an intro There's some commentary about that and yeah. about how it takes some effort to be able to get to know some people but it's definitely a worthwhile well and
0: talking about these characters it's a diverse cast oh yeah this book definitely passes the bechdel test Mm -hmm. um there are diverse characters of different backgrounds uh there's an uh, interracial relationship you see here so it's and you know one of the things he does here too that was similar with Scott Pilgrim some of the characters don't have that much li- don't have that many lines or dialogues but they feel fleshed out
1: they do and they make appearances and you know who they are yeah so the the co-owner of the restaurant is who owns it with his husband um or his boyfriend uh, ray mhm he pops up a few times um and you know so there's there's but you don't see him all that much but he's re- they reference him so they reference him a lot more than he appears within the story, but you know exactly who he is. And so
0: we got to give a shout out here. Also, um, in addition to Brian Lee O'Malley, he collaborated with Jason Fish, uh, Fisher, Dustin Harbin, uh, Nathan Fairbrain or Fairbane um eh- the coloring, it, the coloring was
1: incredible, and
0: that that's from Nathan Fairbain, who has also been doing the coloring on the Scott Pilgrim series, oh, going sense. back and coloring it. So you, they definitely have a great collaboration mm-hmm. here, and um, you don't get the sense that like some sometimes these collaborative drawing and illustrating illustrative efforts. You can tell where things didn't really work and where one artist was doing one thing and another artist was doing another thing. Here it feels very fleshed out. The the revision scenes... Um, they're in this more of a red tone, mm-hmm. kind of going back. It's very stark. You can see the difference there. I love how it's also a square format, Yep, which is different than most graphic novels that are doing Scott the more Scott traditional- Pilgrim
1: were also a little... They were in a different type yep. of format, too. So yep. I that's, that didn't surprise me. Um, but, yeah, no, that was... I, I recommend this. I think it's a really enjoyable story. I am gonna recommend it to other people I know. So totally. um, go if and pick you, it up. If
0: you love Scott Pilgrim, you gotta pick this up. Also, if you were someone, um I think this is this is a good graphic novel to recommend to someone who maybe hasn't read comics or graphic True. novels. It's pretty
1: accessible. Yeah. I, I, I think you could be, you know, um I think you could definitely um Jump into this without having read any. And you
0: don't need to be a video game fan. You don't need to be a Buffy fan. You don't need to know how comics work. It's not stuck in techno babble or I was video very, game canon.
1: I was quite excited to see that one of the the reviews on the back of the the dust jacket was from Scott McCloud, who who wrote this fantastic little book called Understanding Comics. Yes, um, which is really a touchstone. Everybody should read this. It's a book. landmark book. It's really and really great. Did you see
0: who's the other yes, person? Yes, Guillermo del Toro. Who's, I mean, come yeah, on. Come on that's, I know. Like
1: So so anyway, two thumbs up from me. Yeah,
0: from me too. Me too. It's, it was a very refreshing read, and this is why I think we wanted to cover it on Nerd Hour um, to get more awareness and attention um, for this book. And hopefully, if you're a fan of the show, um, which I hope you are if you're listening to this, um, I guess maybe we have a few <laughs> evil enemies who are listening to it for nefarious purposes. But if you're a fan of the show, um, definitely pick it up if you haven't checked it out.
1: Yeah. Um and on that note, I think we are ready to dive in to the infinite crossover oh. chamber. To the I like sound. I
0: I didn't know what to do.
1: Yeah, it's hard. There's nothing to do.
0: I don't know how to tie it into to this.
1: You could sing a song from Sex Bob-omb or something. yeah,
0: or I could have done um Dun 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 because
1: we are pitting seconds against Back to the Future. And we're looking at the whole trilogy. Great Scott!
0: Wait, that was, I don't know what that was. Yeah, what was that? I don't know. That was a little, I don't know, Scotty, but not. Okay, so we are doing um, seconds versus Back to the Future. Question today, listeners, is um, which of these coming-of-age stories will stand the test of time, will continue to thrive into the future?
1: Um I think this is a really interesting question because both of and we're talking about the whole trilogy of the Back to the I think Future. you
0: have to you have to do um, the whole trilogy.
1: I I I think that both of these stories do a very good job at tapping into the, you know different experiences people have. And um you know obviously Back to the Future is is a little bit more family friendly but um the things that the character does he is Some of the things that he changes and, you know, there, I think despite the fact that there is a lot of things that are very dated within the trilogy, it's still an enjoyable trilogy.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Um, I mean, some of the stuff that's dated is pretty much all the future stuff.
1: Yeah, all the future stuff, all the, and even, you know, when he's in his current time, which is the 80s, uh, that stuff is extraordinarily dated. But I think you can look at it as a period piece. Um,
0: You, You know, what's funny about that, Conran, is when the movie came out. Um, it was working on a nostalgic level by going back into the fifties. Yeah. The fifties. Now it works as a nostalgic level with the eighties,
1: right? And also, is, what people in the eighties thought the future would look like.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So that's
1: kind of cool, um, which
0: kind of ties into some of the stuff we talked with Guardians of the Galaxy. Right,
1: but I also, but I also think that the themes are. D- they're not. They're not themes that are going to die anytime soon. No, like, no. Like in the storyline, you can still follow it. You can still enjoy it. It's more funny. It's like a funny little time capsule to some
0: extent. What would you consider the themes of Back to the Future being? Because Back to the Future is so much about fixing the future, right? And in the first movie, we're talking about fixing um, the past. Fixing the past to so fix the, fu- the, yeah. the present. And the the next one is about going into the far future, which we're about to hit next year. Yeah, uh, which is crazy. <laughs>
1: really,
0: um, but it's about fixing the future for whatever reason. I don't know.
1: Well, because his father's enemy had Biff had gone and, and done something.
0: Well, but then they go into the past and you got to right, fix it. Right, right, right. But like, what what what's the lesson that we can we can tease out of Back to the Future? Because uh, Seconds is really about. Accepting some of the things that you can't change,
1: right? And I don't think Back to the Future is about that at all. It's not. What is Back <laughs> to the Future about? Back to the Future is is um, well. There's a few different things that's it about. That it's about. Like in the in the first film, it's about basically giving his father changing an incident to give his father enough self confidence. Yeah. Um. So that the futures of his whole family changes. Um. And he's really focused. I mean, in some things it is about him because he he wants to get back with his girl. He wants all this stuff to happen. Um, he wants his mother to be healthier. Like there's, he's somewhat altruistic in in a lot of the things that he does, and he's truly pleased when these things work out. But as you get further into the series, he becomes a little. It's, it's a little bit more about him and and. You know, not just about his family. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, which is where it kind of plays in two seconds. And the reason why right. we decided to put these both together is we we have two characters here with Marty McFly and with Katie. Uh, and they both make selfish decisions to, um, to help themselves and right. help improve their future. Right. Marty does this with taking the almanac, going back mm-hmm. in time and messing everything up because Biff sort of gets his idea first. And mm-hmm. boy, does that go in a bad direction. Um, and for Katie, her, things really begin to unravel as she starts to manipulate her own space-time continuum a little bit too much.
1: Well, right. And in a very, in over really silly, silly things. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the reasons why she erases themes become more and more trivial. Yeah. Um, and also very, just, they're funny to some extent, but they they are also like, really, you're going to use a whole mushroom just for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think Katie's experience to me, um, at this point, uh, there, he, while he does, as I said before, it's a very accessible story. He doesn't, he doesn't, yes, he makes his usual references and there's certain, there, there are definitely certain pop culture references that are within that, um, mm-hmm. that you can, that people like you and I, cause we're super nerdy, will pick up upon. But I also think that the, the theme of the story is universal enough that anybody could read this and really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so I would say
0: the same thing about Back to the Future, Yeah, though. I
1: agree, but I feel like we've I watched it recently, and it's still a fun watch, but I don't know how somebody who had never been exposed to it would feel watching it now. Maybe we should get a kid and make them watch it and see what they think.
0: I, I think it... it, it Here's why I think Back to the Future still really holds up. Is what tends to happen is um, nerdy parents end up watching it with their kids, and it works. It works at that level, it's sort of a passing of the torch of the of the nerdiness to each other. I mean, they just came out on on Blu-rays a few years ago and ha- released a whole ton of footage, which to me means that the show is uh, or the movie series is still thriving. Look, they did take out the ride at Universal Studios, yes. which is a huge bummer, and uh part of the reason they took that out is they wanted to put in the new Simpsons ride, but um and it, I guess it seemed dated at this point. But I still think it's a it, it is a popular story and a popular idea and it, it it's really about these themes of Marty like Katie being an impulsive person and learning how to improve and learning how to become a better person um, through seeing the consequences of his mistakes and his actions, which is kind of what Katie learns as well. Yeah. Um, she learns eventually. about acceptance <laughs> eventually. Yeah. But it, it takes her a different route, but she learns a very similar lesson um, in a, in a similar way um, for this infinite crossover chamber. Um, I am going to say purely based, and this is a conceit, um, but purely based on how long back to the future has been out, how I think it continues to work for multiple generations. I'm going to have to vote for back to the future here, just because seconds is newer. It's a little bit less proven in terms of, you know, it's just came out a couple months ago. Um, if it was Scott Pilgrim, that might be a different debate because Scott Pilgrim was turned into a movie is just a, a darling among, uh, among fans everywhere. Um, but I'm going to have to vote for back to the future here.
1: I'm going to vote for seconds because I think um, the story to me, and if you're purely talking about whether, whether it holds up and whether it has resonance, I think back to the future as we go into the future, will get a little bit we'll get more and more dated. I think there are themes that hold up, and I think that people can enjoy it, but because it seems a little bit more like a silly time capsule, Um, I just don't think that it's going to, uh, I don't, I don't think it will hold up as much as this story here. Now, whether this story has any impact, no, I cannot say that, but I do think that this is accessible to more people. Come
0: on, Conrad. People are still sending faxes. It's 2014. Uh, Now, we don't say read my fax, but we still send faxes and maybe we'll have electronic wallpapers where you can have images. I I think we're
1: still going to have restaurants, though. And so I think that this makes a lot more (laughs) sense to me. Um, But anyway, I think think that the debate, it's a draw.
0: What? No, it's not a draw. It's totally Back to the Future.
1: No, it's it's seconds. <laughs>
0: Whatever. We'll have All to right.
1: we'll have to agree to disagree. We agreed to case. disagree.
0: Well, let's point. Let's get that DeLorean up to eighty-eight miles an hour and get into our top five this week.
1: Yes. Yeah, so our our top five this week are each of our top five stories of regret, and I have to about regrets. Um, yeah. And I have to tell you, this is a little bit hard because there's actually. A, there's stories within within TV shows. There's mm-hmm. there's there's books. There's movies and whatever. But I did narrow it down, and uh, I think we should uh, hop in to Let's the top. let it, it
0: was a real tough one for me too, um, because regret is such a powerful emotion, and I just kind of had to like be like, oh my gosh, where do I even go? But Um, I've got a five as well. So um, let me start with my number five. Okay. um, Because it is um, a film I've mentioned. It's a series I've mentioned before. I've talked about the before... Um, Before Sunrise series. It's mm-hmm. the trilogy of movies that are about these two characters who do fall in love with each other. For my number five pick, I'm saying Before Sunset. This is the middle uh, movie yep. of the series, and this movie is really about what happens when two, character, or two people who had feelings for each other um, have the opportunity to do something about it. When uh, Ethan Hawke plays a character who's had this regret about not getting involved in a relationship. And I think everyone alive has can, can feel exactly what this character is feeling. Those questions that run through your head about what if, what if I had asked that person out? What if that date had gone differently? How different would my life be? That is the exact theme of regret that is ex- explored in Before Sunset. So that's my number five.
1: All right. Uh, my number five, oddly enough, is sort of a time travel movie. Um, It is Peggy Sue Got Married. Um, And it is a weird little movie with Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage. Um, And it um, it is about this woman that's going to her high school reunion. And she has some sort of weird incident and travels back to her high school days. And her regret, and she is talking about it with some of her friends, is that you know she she got pregnant when she was in high school mm. and um, married her high school boyfriend, and things did not work out as well as she thought that they would. And so she goes back in when she finds herself back in time. There's a lot of these interesting moments, like she sees her mother for the first time, and her mother is apparently gone, um, and in the future, and is just so. Basically living life to the fullest in her high school years and talking to her other friends about really appreciating things like not smoking and about how their skin looks so great. And she's like, (laughs) she's like exercising and she meets this, this, um, there is a, a classmate of hers and he is a super nerd and she's one of the popular girls. And she reaches out to him even though everybody is still ostracizing him. And apparently she was always very nice to him. Mm-hmm. But um, there's all these... And she's trying to correct all these regrets that she had. Yep. And so she seeks him out to basically say... How great she thinks he is, and and they they sort of scheme together to come up with inventions um, to make money for the future or something like to like he sounds interesting.
0: You know, it's I a really interesting film, and um it and then um I just looked it up right now because I haven't heard of this directed by Francis Ford Coppola.
1: Well, yes, and Sophia Coppola is in it and is as horrible as ever.
0: Oh gosh! Um, you know, <laughs>
1: luckily, she's not in it very much.
0: Send your complaints to HBO. Um, but in any
1: case, it, it's an interesting little film. Um, Nicolas
0: Cage is in it mm-hmm. oh my how have I not heard of this
1: um, but this is a film that I, I you know it's one of those things and she's learning a lot of lessons about, um, about the fact that you can't really change certain things um, without think, changing everything. So, I think that's
0: at the theme of our whole top five yeah, here. Yes. You can't um, change things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. But moving on, since moving we need on. to be into Lightspeed, uh, what my is number your four, number four?
0: My number four is a film we've talked about before. Um, and it's funny that both of our number fives were about relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, my number four is also about relationships and, oh, God, and, you know, high school reunions. I mean, talk about regrets. Everyone feels that right, And so point. that's,
1: you know, it's an interesting theme.
0: Yeah, yeah. So my number four is also about relationships. Not about high school reunions, but it's internal sunshine of the spotless mind.
1: We have a mind meld.
0: Number four? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Super fantastic, nerd hour, mind meld. It's a great movie. I mean, this is one of my favorite science fiction movies um, from the 2000s. Jim Carrey is playing a character who wants to um who goes to a place where you can get your memories erased well only and... because
1: he finds out from his lady friend that she has had this done about him yeah so yeah. it's a really it's an interesting film it's a little bit dark but i i really enjoyed it
0: i enjoyed it as well and the music is great it's wonderfully acted um it's it's tragic in some ways um, if you haven't seen it, please go out and see it. I think it's available on streaming in different areas. And some aspects of it are coming true now. We can't erase memories, but there are new treatments available, um, medication-based treatments where um we can sort of dull and erase the emotional impact of memories so i mean some of this stuff is coming true which is kind of scary and interesting but um if you want to explore a film about regrets eternal sunshine of spotless mind will do it it will so I'm going to let's flip things around. Every right. mind meld we flip. And so, Conrad, you go first. What's your number three?
1: Well, I'm realizing that probably my whole list, except for and even my number one, is about relationships generally. But um, my my number three is High Fidelity. Um, and this is a novel uh, by Nick Hornby. And you may have also seen the film with John Cusack.
0: How could I have forgotten about High Fidelity? Um, Great pick. And
1: so basically the the plot is it's about uh, Rob Fleming, who um, he is this record owner. In the book, he's in London. In the film, he's in, like, Chicago or something. Um, but anyway, his girlfriend's left him, and he. the book recounts he decides to examine all of his failed relationships. Um and there are lots of good interactions between him and his, his <laughs> record store employees, and they're all coming up with top five lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To demonstrate their knowledge of music. <laughs> Nerds. Um, but in any case, it's um, him basically sort of sifting through these things, um, his, his fear of commitment, his fear of death, and basically having regret about how he's handled things, um, you know, in his past. So it's, it's a good book. A very a little bit darker than the movie, I would say, and you have to really like Elvis Costello. <laughs> um, but the film, I think, is also very good and shows a lot of those things. And it's about similar things to the themes in Seconds, which is yeah. what I was immediately thinking of. Um, just his his journey. So that's why I put it on my list. Good
0: pick, good catch. Um, my number three is from um, it. It's one of my top five episodes of Star Trek, um, and I mean Star Trek as a as a whole. Um, it's from Deep Space 9 in the Pale Moonlight. Now, um this is I love this episode so much. Um and I don't want to spoil it for the few people out there who who haven't seen Deep Space 9 or seen um in the Pale Moonlight. Basically, our captain, Captain Benjamin Sisko is at a very critical point in a, a larger war that's broken out. And um he chooses to engage in certain things because of the number of casualties that are coming in, so regrets playing a role there. Where in order to prevent future loss of life, he makes some very um, he makes a deal with the devil. Let's just say, which mm. is where the title comes from. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? That reminds us of Back to the F- or Batman as well. You know, so um, it's about making this deal with the devil, and um, things sort of blow up in his face. Things don't go as well. And at the very end of the episode, it's about him dealing with the consequences and the regrets he has about the decisions that he's made. Hmm. Uh, The episode speaks to ideas of cognitive dissonance and how we rationalize the things that we do in our life and how we create coherent stories about ourselves. Like, I am a good person, but I did this not good thing. What does Hmm. this mean about me? It's all about those themes of regret um, and it's beautifully done. Um, really great episode. It's one of my favorites. So In the Pale Moonlight, Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
1: Cool. Um, number two in this top five um, is <laughs> the song Martha by Tom Waits. Um, a
0: song? You picked a song. Oh, my I gosh. Did. You're so cool, Conrad. Oh. Um,
1: it is a song, sure. and it is a really beautiful song. Tom Waits, as many people may know, is one of my favorites. Uh, I adore that man. Um, and it's Basically, this song, one of the things that Tom Waits does is amazing storytelling about relationships. There's a lot, usually a lot of regrets involved. Um, and in this, it's um, the main characters, and he's calling up an old girlfriend, Martha. Mm-hmm. And he's basically asking her to meet up, and they talk about um, all their times and talking about how wonderful those days were. And even though, and you know, it's really do- it's done really well. It's not the longest song and he crams like an awful lot into that. Yeah. And they both have kids and they both have like husbands and wives and whatever. And it's just looking back on the regret that they didn't appreciate that time together more. Um and it's I think people, you know, can look back on their their, their youthful selves and and think that too, that they should really have appreciated what was going on at the time.
0: <laughs> That's a good pick. I didn't even think to do songs. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm thinking of one that I'm just going to squeeze into my honorable mentions now. All right. Um, Okay, good one, good one. Um, My number two, I know we're talking about Lost next week um, on the podcast, and the 10th anniversary is coming up, but... Um, I'm going to spoiler it a little bit by revealing one of my favorite episodes of Lost, and it's an episode that's all, about, and, and no, a lot of Lost is about I know regret. which
1: episode it's going to be, because we got a little spoilery earlier, but go for yeah, it. Yeah, I
0: was trying to, to hold my cards close to my chest, but, um, Ab Atierno, this episode of Lost, which is, uh, from the final season of Lost, the sixth season, and it is Richard's backstory. Mm. Richard is one of my favorite characters on that show. And for those of you who are having a hard time remembering because you've repressed your memories <laughs> your of Lost.
1: <laughs> lots of people have.
0: Um, Richard was the character uh, played by the actor um, who was also, in, you might remember him from Dark Knight. Um, he played the mayor of Gotham City. Um, he has a jet black hair. And he's the individual who we see in many different time points in Lost. We see him in um, sort of the '70s, '60s sort of backstory time frame. We see him in the present, and he never ages.
1: Right, he's played by uh, Nestor Carbonell. Yes,
0: yes, yes, Um Who always,
1: to me, like his eyelashes are so thick, he always looks like he was wearing eyeliner, eyeliner to me. Yeah,
0: he's got a very distinctive look to him. But
1: he's an amazing actor. He's an
0: amazing actor, and um, his character on Lost, I was always kind of wondering, I wanted to know more about this guy, and he seems so interesting, and as the show gets on, you, you begin to understand that he... He has some aspect of immortality and he doesn't want it anymore. He's tormented by something. There's something going on. And in um Ab Atierno, which is how you got the spoilery warning, I was kind of asking you randomly, hey, Conrad, do you know what Atierno means? And it's it's kind of this, like, Latin word for, like, beyond the infinite, uh, I'm thinking 2001 Space Odyssey, beyond the infinite expanse of the past or something. And so, from the infinite, beyond expanse of the past. Uh we find out that his whole backstory is based on on regret, um, Mm -hmm. on guilt over not being able to save his wife from dying. And this episode, it does that story with such justice and such validation, and it's deeply moving. I rewatched it uh, uh, recently, and it was quite emotional um, how that episode ends. It ends with... Um, I'm not going to spoiler it, uh, or spoil it, but it ends with him really confronting these regrets that he has.
1: It's a really good episode. And
0: it's, oh, it's deeply moving. I let out a squee when I saw that episode for the first time. Because you
1: wanted to know about
0: him, I right? wanted to know his backstory. So it goes, you know, that lost sound effect. Mm. And when it, when they go to the backstory... And it it's like in the eighteen hundreds, and you see him on a horse, and I'm like, oh my god, this is it! This is the moment I've waited for. And unlike so many other moments of loss, this one delivered. <laughs> so um, I love this episode, as you can tell by how much I've been talking about it. Um, it also set up some of the larger mythology points of the story. So um, and it tied into it, it's um, the black. Um, the Black Rock, he gets on this block, Black Rock ship, which is referenced in one of my other favorite episodes of, of Lost, which is The Constant. So it tied a lot of things together. I could go on and on, but I'm going to save that for next week. Okay. Cool. So uh, what is your number one? Wait, no, I just talked. You talk next, Conrad. All
1: right, all right. Well, my number one is um, an animated film that was done in 2009 uh Disney, and it's animated called film
0: 2009. And it's called
1: Up. Um, Well,
0: Disney-Pixar. Pixar,
1: Pixar, yes. Yep. Um, And I have to say that this was a film, and, you know, I didn't know that much about what it was about. It looked a lot of fun when I saw the trailers, and... um, and bill and i watched this together and we were actually looking for something lighter to watch um,
0: <laughs> well and then you saw the first 12 minutes of the movie and you uh, started crying
1: well i started crying he was bawling i mean it's it's all the things that i would say things that we are both very we we uh, i tend to get caught up a lot in what i like the day to day and the stress of my job and not really think about all the the wonderful things that are going on and I'm definitely guilty of not appreciating um, my my very blessed life and um, we we watch this and it's basically these two characters, Carl and Ellie and it is a very short exposition scene and you learn all this stuff about them and it's just amazing like you know, there's these two little kids that get together and they, they, they you know, find out that they can't have kids when they get married and all this other crazy stuff. Um, and it basically shows their whole lifespan to the point where, um, you know, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil this, uh, where Ellie dies and and then the character is left. Yeah,
0: you're only spoiling the first 12 minutes. Right. It's fine.
1: But still, I mean, and so they they had been, they had had a fun to go traveling. They never got to do that together. and um, And it's about this character figuring out how to go on without his wife and about his soulmate. And it's a just, it's a really touching movie. It's the first time that I've watched an animated film, um, where I was like, wow, Pixar really just did something amazing here. You forgot that you were watching an animated, um, I, piece I, of work. I
0: firmly believe that that beginning of the movie is, uh, some of the best, um, it's in the top five moments of cinema. In terms because of it,
1: storytelling, it's really it, incredible. I mean, it, it,
0: you feel such a, a wide variety of emotions in those scenes. You feel love. You feel happiness. You feel sadness and loss. You feel that regret. You feel the guilt. Um, you feel elation and excitement and wonder. Um, great pick, Conrad. That, that's a good one. I'm so glad you, you, you picked up on that. I totally forgot about Up uh, here. Um well my number 1 is um I also firmly believe this is a good pick <laughs> <laughs> um because this is a pick that I think has it probably put my life on a different trajectory um and seeing this uh, story um saved me from probably years of heartache so um, I saw this in uh, fifth grade. It uh, no sixth grade. One of my teachers showed it in class, and this is Star Trek: The Next Generation's tapestry. Oh, this... really?
1: Your teacher showed this? Yes.
0: No, I was already a Trekkie at that time, and I thought this teacher was so awesome for showing this episode in class. But the the episode, it's all about Captain Picard dying. This happens mm-hmm. in the first five minutes, and you you realize that he died because he has this artificial heart, and it got overloaded by this energy blast. Something that most hearts would survive, but Captain Picard's crappy artificial heart couldn't take it. He sees Q. Q is a super omnipotent being, and uh, he says, um, "Do you have any regrets in your life?" And he goes, "Yes, I regret getting into that fight with that Noskian and winding up with this heart." So Q snaps his fingers, sends Picard back in time, and gives him the opportunity to correct this mistake in his life. Now, without uh, spoilering, or spoiling, I keep saying that. Spoilering. Yeah, it's a new word.
1: I like the word, though. I like it. It, it, We're going to go with it.
0: Well, let's go with it. Um, I'm not going to spoiler the whole episode but uh, Picard corrects his mistake. He sees the Nausicaan. and goes, Silly human, play Domjot. Ha, ha, ha. You talk and you talk, but you have no um, <laughs> I, You know, I had to do that.
1: I know you've probably been practicing that for like 30 years. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> probably. Um, he corrects the mistake. Picard comes back into the present, and he realizes... That by changing this one thing, this one event that he has regretted his whole life, it unraveled the whole tapestry Mm -hmm. of of all of it. He's no longer the captain of the Enterprise. He's a very different person. Um, And he, he ends up telling Q, I would rather die the man I was than live out this life. And I saw that episode and we had a whole class discussion about it. And he said, um, my teacher said, you know, the message of this story is really about even if you have mistakes and even if there are things you regret in your life, as long as you can learn from them, as long as you can grow from them, they're not mistakes at all. And that's what happens to Captain Picard. And um, he goes through a process that we now know is called post-traumatic growth. You Mm -hmm. go through the struggle that can happen for someone can sometimes result for change after they go through these traumatic things. That idea, Conrad – It probably saved me so many times in my life when I made big mistakes, and it saved me from falling into regret and guilt and despair about it. And I
1: think that's such an amazing lesson to learn at that age. I wish I had. I know. Everyone (laughs) should watch
0: Tapestry uh, when they're a kid. All right. By the way, I tried showing you in. I was like, I gave you in this whole spiel. And I she was like, do it, right. and she couldn't do it. She's like, it's so epi- slow. It's so '90s. It's moving so slow. I'm like, that's oh, a great
1: on. episode. That yeah. is, I I think it's it's one of my favorites. It's my too.
0: favorite episode of Star Trek. Period. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you for for chatting with me about seconds today. And that was a lot of fun. This was a fun little little chat. But what are um, we talking
0: about next week?
1: Uh, next week, as you hinted, uh, we are going to be talking about the uh since it's the 10th anniversary of lost we're gonna have our our friend and definitely friend of the show and now frequent uh guest uh he'll
0: he'll be tying with bill wadman yes yes
1: uh derek bishop is gonna be on here so we're looking forward to that but we're gonna be talking about lost um and so i'm excited to have this to have this show
0: yeah until then where can people find you online
1: um, on Twitter, I am Di Prince, and uh, you can also listen if you're into Undead Things, you can listen to Reanimated, and that's uh, at reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, we're reanimated reanimated PCAST with my buddy Stuart Tiffin.
0: And I am as always on Twitter at Oli Matu. You can also find me at brainknowsbetter.com where I write about the psychology of science fiction. And uh, we are also on the web at uh, Nerd Hour on Twitter. And we also have a website called superfantasticnerdhour.com
1: Yeah, we'd uh, love to hear um, things you'd like us to review or nerdy things that you've seen that we should see. We definitely want to hear all those things. Uh, thank you for listening and we will see 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 you next week. Until Until then, then,
0: live long and prosper.
1: Indeed.